As I walk through the aisle with videos on the shelf, I see the miss on the box and realize there's nothing else. Now, I've been watching wrestling for so long that every sense of good taste that I have is gone. But I never tap to movies that didn't deserve it. A movie with CM Punk, you know, that's unheard of. I like to watch how they talking and how they're acting. So during the movie, you better not talk. I hate to critique, but I gotta, though. The acting in this movie is really horrible. I'm the kind of G who watches wrestling on the TV, eating popcorn all night with the glow of the screen light. We've been spending most our lives gripping a camel clutch cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping a camel clutch cinema. We keep spending most our lives gripping a camel clutch cinema. There he is. Thanks to Captain Marvelous for that. We will play the entire song at the end of the show. Uh, but God, that should be our new theme song. I think it may have to be. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. I got a, a message from from the captain, and I I saw what it was and downloaded it, and I smiled from ear to ear the entire two and a half minutes, or however long that song is. It made me feel so good that. Someone took time out of their day yes. to make that song. It's insane. It's insane and absurd. And you are here with Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week we are talking about movies where people watch wrestling. That's right. Uh, I always liked this. Uh, when I would go to the movies and you'd see, you know, whatever the new film was, and all of a sudden there's a TV on in the background and you could hear Gorilla Monsoon or you could hear, you know, Vince McMahon. I'd get so excited. You know, it was like, oh, my God, they're watching wrestling. And part of me would like to just go into the world of the film and sit there and just see the rest of that show. <laughs> yes. And if you think about it, a lot of times these clips, uh, you know, it'll be a clip of one match. You know, there'll be a, you know, a scene, a TV in, in the background, and sometimes they'll pan over and you'll see the TV and maybe they'll give you a close up. And a lot of times that's all for that match. That match isn't on DVD. You know, it's not on classics on demand. They, they have, they, you know, they're not putting everything apparently on the network right away because they've advertised that they're putting every pay-per-view. Uh, and they've said 15,000 hours of entertainment, I believe 15,000. Uh, but if you add that up, that's not that's nowhere near everything they have. So I guess they're going to slowly put things out. I mean, I I suppose we won't get every episode of primetime wrestling the first year. Yeah, maybe or a show like Superstars. Right. Yeah. See, because that to me, that's like a lot of what I would love to see is, you know, they have not just that. They also have like Memphis and Mid-South and, and all these other uh, libraries that they have. You know, it'd be great to have all of them, but maybe, you know, maybe they're putting them on, you know, maybe they'll put them on one at a time. But, yeah, how great would it be to be like I can, you know, sit back and, and watch, you know, uh, every week after week of like, you know, superstars of wrestling or or wrestling challenge, you know, which was, I always remember in my area, they did challenge, which was gorilla and Bobby, uh, Bobby, the brain Heenan, gorilla monsoon, Bobby, the brain Heenan for, for the new younger listeners. Uh, they would be on, on challenge, which was on in the morning, but it, in the evening around like 6 PM, 
the big show was on, which was uh, Superstars of Wrestling, which was the three-man booth of Jesse the Body Ventura, Vince McMahon, with Bruno Sammartino doing the replays. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. And that was, but for me, that was like a big deal. Uh, I didn't get to watch that one very often. The daytime one, I always got to watch. But when I was a kid, and this is also something, a lot of the younger kids probably don't realize this. People used to have one TV. Oh, yes. (laughs) You didn't have multiple TVs. Yeah, if dad wanted to watch something and wrestling was on. Unless dad wanted to watch wrestling, you weren't watching wrestling. (laughs) Right. I mean, and that's a really big thing. I mean, now I think a lot more people have, you'll have a TV in your bedroom or whatever. Uh, When I was a kid, I eventually got a TV in my bedroom, but it was, you know, it was a black and white TV. And this was, you know, during an era, they, you know, no one would have a black and white TV when I was growing up in as their main TV, but you'd have it as a backup TV because TVs were really expensive. That's why I still have the first TV that I ever bought with my own money is still sitting here uh, in my house, even though it hasn't been turned on in probably three years. Because they they were hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And so, you know, to get a TV, you know, in your bedroom, you didn't have that as a kid. And usually you'd have one in the main, you know, the main family room or den or or whatever. But you would often have another room that very well could have had a TV and didn't, you know, because having another TV wasn't wasn't easy. I remember when they first started putting out those little TVs that were like uh, not the tiny ones, but the ones that were like a a 13 inch portable type TV, you know, and they started becoming affordable. You know, you could buy one of those for for a a relatively low you know price, like, you know, under 100 bucks. And so people started getting, you know, TVs in their extra bedrooms and stuff. But before that, you know, there was no it just didn't exist. TVs were all expensive. And now, you know, if you want to get a, a tube television, you know, not a not a flat screen, not an LCD or anything, but it, a, a decent tube television that's going to give you a nice picture that, you know, your kids can watch. You can go to the thrift shop, pick it up for five bucks, put it in the room. And so they don't have to watch whatever you're watching in the main room. But when I was a kid, we did. And so Superstars of Wrestling, it was only if there was nothing else going on because a lot of people in the house and dad certainly got first choice. And so it had to be pretty low. I remember it would be stuff like we'd be eating dinner, right? We're sitting there eating dinner and you'd get the, I'm done. Can I be excused? And if you got that, yes. Because that was always a big deal. A lot of times you didn't get that. You get the, no, you're going to sit here until everybody else is finished. But if I got that, I could be excused. I would dart over to that TV because it was mine until the next person got finished. There was no argument at that point. Yeah. And I grew up, you know, in a family with five kids. So I would dart to that TV and I would put on superstars of wrestling. And, you know, and that was because superstars, you'd actually get a decent main event. It was nothing like, you know, now every match is a main event, you know, and literally back then, uh, if you got the equivalent of watching Kofi Kingston versus Santino, that would be a main event type match. That was a big deal. Yeah. Now, uh, did you have rules in your house for how long you could be uh, up from your seat for, like in the living room before somebody could claim it? <laughs> oh, the seat? Oh, yeah. very good point. Um, 
Because we I, did a, at my I'm house sure. between me and my brother, there was you know I think it was like a five minute rule or something where if you le- if you were out of the seat for more than five minutes, you basically gave up the seat and control of the TV. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that to me that sounds totally true. I I remember you know I would always have to sit on the floor. I don't know why my parents didn't get some more chairs. You know they're. But I do know, you know, uh, you also would have like the more comfortable seat. Like we had a, a chaise lounge on the on the couch, you know, like the 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 long part you could almost lie down on. Yeah. And boy, that was you couldn't get up from that seat. You know, if you were on that seat, you had to hold it in. If you had to pee, you had to, you know, if you were if you wanted a snack, you had to just dream about it because you had that. That was the that was like the parking in the first parking spot at the mall Christmas Eve. You know, that was (laughs) it was the the ideal spot. And I remember getting that and you'd get up and you just wistfully think about how when you came back, you know, your brother would be sitting in it and you just didn't get it back. So these scenes where where they show people watching wrestling, uh, I do like this stuff, not even just with wrestling, but I really like to me, that's one of the most exciting things when I'm watching a movie, when they'll have the TV on. I'm always curious if it's something that was shot for the movie or if it's just real stuff. Uh, I know in Back to the Future, there's the scene with the news reporter at the beginning. And for a long time when I was younger, I just always assumed that was the news, you know, and then if you watch it again and you, you, you know, you know what the movie's about, you know, that when they're talking about the case of missing plutonium, that they're referring to the movie. So that was something that was shot and then transferred to a TV, you know, uh, via, via some kind of video cassette or whatever. And then uh, you're watching it as if it's live broadcasting. But sometimes there's a movie. I think it's a uh, it's targets. It's called targets. And it's a uh, it's pretty good. Um, Bella Lugosi, right? Yes, this is a this is a pretty good movie. If you like horror films, it takes place at a drive in and Bella plays essentially himself. I believe he has a different name. It, thinking it i think it's karloff it's actually boris karloff it's frankenstein i think that's in this one but regardless one of them plays a an elderly you know retired uh movie star uh horror star who shows up at this drive-in and he's uh he's there you know like look come see you know the star in person uh, and we're gonna watch the movie and this killer gets to the top of the drive-in screen and just cuts a little hole, sticks his gun through it, and just starts taking people out every time they open their car door. And so everybody's trapped in their car, and it takes a while for anybody to even know it. You know, he's got a sniper, you know, rifle with a with a silencer, and the door opens, ping, takes somebody out, right? Well, there's a scene where he comes home, and I'm watching this, and all of a sudden I'm like, Regis Philbin is on his TV. <laughs> and you just hear this long thing while he's like cleaning his gun or whatever, this long thing with Regis Philbin talking. And eventually I realized it was when I think Joey Bishop uh, hosted the Tonight Show and Regis Philbin was his Ed McMahon. OK, it was his Andy Richter. And uh, it's just him and Regis just talking and you hear young Regis and like that scene, like I was saying before that you can't get that episode on any format it's not on youtube even you know so you can't hear whatever that conversation is other than in that format so it's it is kind of cool when you see these things and uh i want to i want to dig into some of these natural born killers i know this is a movie you and i both like yes 1994 
I, uh, I, the, this is probably the best scene in this film is the wrestling scene. Yeah. And you've got Rodney Dangerfield who brings a lot to this scene. So let me, let me set up the scene for you. If you haven't seen this movie, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a really, um, it's a, it's a it's a movie about a psychotic killer and and almost like a new new age Bonnie and Clyde where you have this killer and his girlfriend killer and they go around and kill people but the uh, the film is shot very strange it's very uh, they use a lot of very very weird effects uh, uh, Oliver Stone put this out and it's it's probably the weirdest looking film I think of any of his films. And I, I can't think of another mainstream film that is as strange as this. Uh, I know you're a fan of Oliver Stone's work. Is this kind of a common thing for him to do a lot of weird rear screen projection? And I, I think this was a period in Oliver Stone's career where he was kind of being very experimental. You know, the doors kind of has a certain look to it, but natural born killers he was mixing so so many different kinds of medium. He yeah. had, you know, 35 millimeter film, eight mil, eight millimeter film, 16 millimeter. Like you said, the uh-huh. rear projection, front projection, animation. It was just like the first and it was almost like everybody watched this that was making music videos for MTV and said, oh, my God, this is how we have to make our music videos. <laughs> Yeah, it almost feels like you're watching a movie and then you change the channel and somehow the movie's still on, but you're watching a different channel. And the sequence that the wrestling uh, shows up in is a sequence that is set to look like you're watching a sitcom, like a 60s or 70s sitcom, like The Brady Bunch. Yeah, with a laugh track and everything, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think they shot it on some kind of uh, film quality to make it look more like that, because it really feels like the the way that those shows look. And so we we see her childhood in for in the form of television. You know, we see how she met Mickey. You know, it's Mickey and Mallory, this uh, these two serial killers. And so we see Juliet Lewis at home. Uh, Her father is is Rodney Dangerfield. And eventually Woody Harrelson shows up delivering like a bag of like meat. But it's like ice cubes. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, Rodney plays the dad and he's he's watching TV. And I'm uh, I apologize in advance. Uh, There's a lot of really off color things in the sequence, but, uh, he's watching Tatanka and, and he keeps going, you know, what are you doing? Kill the friggin' Indian. <laughs> yes. Tatanka's wrestling Barry Hardy on, from what I could understand was an, a June 92 episode of superstars. Ooh, look at that. Uh, so this is what's funny about this is Rodney. And I don't know if this was, uh, if this was in any way ad libbed or if this was in the script, but somebody thought that Tatanka would have had a chance in this match <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to write the script so that he was cheering for who was it? Barry Hardy? Uh, yeah, Barry Hardy, who at one time teamed with, <laughs> get this, he teamed with uh, Gilberg sure. uh, before uh, Dwayne Gill. As part of um, what was their tag team name? Hold on, the Lords of Darkness. Oh, that's great! 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this was a total squash match, and Tatanka's doing all his moves. And uh, I believe at one point Rodney calls them – he calls them – I'm not going to say it because I know now people are very offended by this word. They call it the other F word. Yes. It's the F word for – it's the, the very impolite one for homosexuals. Yeah, he says, what am I watching, uh, you know, two here? Yeah, 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 okay. I thought you were going to say it. I was no. like, Craig, that's the whole point was we're trying to be sympathetic to people. Like if we were talking about cigarettes and I said, oh, Craig, and this guy was smoking a fag, you yeah. know, that would be okay. But we're not talking about this. So we're not going no, to say that word. No. And, <laughs> and this was also during Tatanka's undefeated streak still. Ah, okay. Yeah. Tatanka had a long undefeated streak. So I don't uh, know why Rodney was worried about Tatanka possibly losing. Yeah, well, he wanted him to lose, though. Oh, yes. <laughs> he was cheering against him. I don't know. I don't I mean, you know, I think either they couldn't have been like, oh, we'll put this gag in there so the wrestling fans laugh. It's It's got to be that, you know, they just screened the footage. They were like, ah, we need something for him to watch. And they were like, well, wrestling is a very violent thing that's on TV. Maybe we can kind of stick that in there. And then they just like went through the episode that WWE must have sent them. You know, yeah. like they ask and they sent, you know, an episode and they probably were like, ah, we'll take this scene. You know, this sequence will work. It is weird, though. I mean, it's, uh, it's just almost jarring to see you know wwe show up in this in this bizarre strange movie but hey there's nothing stranger than wwe in the early 1990s yeah and and this was one of the only movies where the use of wwf footage works with the scene where you know they're they're almost sort of counterpointing the fight between Rodney and Woody Harrelson with, uh. you know, you sort of hear the announcing in the background. By no means is it synced up, but you're sort of getting this feel that there's a fight on TV and there's a fight in the living room, whereas a lot of the other movies we're going to talk about, it's sort of incidental. This seems like it was, like you said, uh, a conscious choice that he would be watching wrestling. Very good. I had not really thought about that. This film uh, uh, came out in 1994, summer of 1994, had a budget of $34 million, did a box office of $60 million, so it, it seems like it would have been somewhat of a disappointment. Uh, but I know it, it had had a, a, a big cult following even from the day it came out. You know, There were a lot of people that were very into it. Uh, I know that Quentin Tarantino's screenplay was was adapted for this and that he wasn't uh i think he never saw it and didn't had had no interest in it uh because he it, he it wasn't his script is that right yeah well quentin tarantino said i don't want to see the movie because they made so many changes to the movie that i haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like okay. it's one of those things where yeah. somebody judges something that they really don't have any business judging because they haven't yeah. seen it or heard it or, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's and almost, I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan, but it, it's always sort of irked me that I'm like, that's such a bad stance to take, except, especially for somebody who seems to love film so much. Right. As you know, now I've never thought about this, but as a filmmaker, you would think he would want to, to, he would respect the concept of that, that, you know, that as the, as, and he's adapted um, things before, right? Inglorious Bastards is based on another movie, or is it just using the title? Just of the title, movie? but he also adapted Elmore Leonard uh, for ah, okay. Jackie so, Brown. So yeah, so he's uh, adapted things. You would think as a as a filmmaker, he would wait to see it uh, before 
having taking issue with that it was changed i you know i almost think if i was a screenwriter uh i would say oh this is great if i know not just a screenwriter but uh quentin tarantino where you're a filmmaker as well as uh, a screenwriter you're like this is great they bought my script they're using it, but they're apparently changing it so much that I could reuse it if I feel like it. Yeah. And also, it was being filmed by an Academy Award winning director. I mean, at yeah. that time, Oliver Stone was probably about at, you know, as, 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 yeah, as powerful as he could be as a filmmaker. Sure. Um, it wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, one of the Adam Sandler directors was getting your script. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That is very interesting. Um, so, yeah, I like this scene. So if we're going to tap or not to this, uh, I definitely do not tap to the uh, the Natural Born Killers uh, wrestling scene. What do you think, Craig? Um, no tap here. Like I said earlier, it's really the perfect use of wrestling footage in a movie. All right. I'm going to uh, uh, switch gears to another one. This one, you actually don't see or hear any wrestling footage, but there's a, a brief mention of it. And, and I was just thinking about it in relation to the, the fight scene in this, having the, you know, the commentary to it. Uh, in The Cable Guy, there's a scene where Owen Wilson is going out with uh, the girlfriend of Matthew Broderick's character. Yes. And so they go out and and Jim Carrey wants to ruin the date. You know, the character he plays is friends with Matthew Broderick, sort of. Uh, also very creepy, weird film. Oh, yes. And he, he waits for him in the men's room and pretends to be a men's room attendant and then uh, beats up Owen Wilson, gives him a swirly and then <laughs> slams him into a hand drying machine and goes right into the buckle Ooh, that's going to leave a mark, Gene. And it's a total reference to, uh, you know, to WWE commentary at the time, which I think is awesome. Yeah, it's very funny. And it, it's also funny that that's one of the, uh, uh, you know, aside from the ending of that movie, that's the scene in that movie I think about when people talk about the cable guy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so funny that that is my total first um time seeing owen wilson there may have been a movie before that i had seen but that was the one that from that one on i always knew who he was when he showed up he's got a an unmistakably strange looking nose and uh i guess he's had his nose broken when he was younger yeah and so it, it's hard to miss him and he's very funny in that movie and so from that moment on anytime i saw him in a movie i was like ah oh, it's that guy that got beat up in the bathroom by jim carrey and the cable guy yeah i, I love that about actors when you see them early in their career i mean i know this we, we 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 saw this with like jack black but owen wilson i remember when he popped up in like armageddon it was like you know you're like hey that's that guy you know before you even yeah. really know their name yeah, I mean, if you see a lot of movies, you find that. And what I think part of it is, is if you go back and you watch, if you take any actor, right? So you say, okay, you know, so-and-so, this guy's a star. And you go back and you watch some of their early work. A lot of times you'll be like, wow, he really stands out to me. And part of you thinks, well, it's because I know who he is. But I think a lot of it is it, people that are stars stand out, you know, and that's why they become stars. You know, they they break away just because something about them on screen is magnetic. And it doesn't even have to be you're a good actor. You know, uh, Paulie Shore is not a good actor. 
uh, but he's very funny, you know, and, and he's a comedian and he's unusual. And there's a movie I saw called uh, The Wedding Band. It's not The Wedding Singer. It's The Wedding Band. And he is one of the one of the guys in the band. And he's got like a few scenes here and there. But when I watched it, I was like, wow, he really like stands out in all the scenes, even when he's not saying anything. And part of it may be just that I know who he is. But I think another part of it is there's some intangible quality that people that become successful for whatever reason, you know, and and uh, he's not Olivier, but he's somebody that's memorable. And I think there's something about, you know, memorable personalities that that tends to stand out. And that's why I think I always remembered Owen Wilson in that. Yeah, totally. What's the next one? Do you have one for me? Um, yeah, this is one because, you know, we talked about a, a, a movie that really used the wrestling scene good. And now I'm going to bring up one that I don't think the wrestling scene works for the movie at all and almost puts wrestling in a bad light. And that is last summer's The Hangover Part 3. All right. Now, here's what I know about this. I have not seen this movie. I've seen one of the Hangover movies. And when you told me this, I was like, no, that's Hangover 2. And then and then I looked and I was like, how did I miss that there was three? I mean, I, I'm sure I heard about it because they're gigantic hits. But somehow I totally missed two and three. So now I'm never going to catch up. You know, if I was one behind, I could catch up. Uh, but now I'm two behind and, and, you know, that's, that's, it's two, but I may go ahead and watch two and be like, oh, I did see this and I'm somehow connecting it to hangover one. But so here's what I remember about when this came out, when this came out, like maybe uh, a night after this uh, showed up, you know, on raw, uh, Cole and Lawler started talking about how they were in they were movie stars they said we're movie stars now we were didn't you see we were in hangover three and they kind of joked about it and i remember like saying it to you and i was like they're in hangover three and you're like no they're not <laughs> and then you're like oh right yes they are and you explained the scene so explain the scene to me because i haven't seen it so they're they're out and about you know hanging over cole and lawler <laughs> no no uh, um <laughs> Bradley Cooper and the other two guys, the, the, the guy, uh, with the guy the without the tooth. Yeah. And the guy with the beard and the guy with the beard. Yeah. Um, and they go into a pawn shop because they're sort of following the clues. And uh -huh. Melissa McCarthy's in there, who's sort of the hot, you know, act comedy actress uh, last summer. I see. And she is sort of she plays like a a very sort of socially maladjusted character who works at this pawn shop and they walk in and she's watching wrestling. And I think it was when John Cena and CM Punk fought at possibly No Way Out. Does that right, sound right? So that sounds right. Now yeah. let's uh, let's think about this for a moment, though. What time of day is this sequence? This it's it's dark in Las Vegas, so it's at night. So this theoretically could be the live pay-per-view. Now, how the scene is set, is it theoretically possible that she is purchasing a pay-per-view event at her work? Exactly. Um, it, it seemed feasible that she was watching a live event. But does it seem possible that she would pay for it? Because I, I've worked at a lot of places that have had television, and you usually aren't allowed to just order a $50 wrestling event. Yeah. It seems like this is a pawn shop that she owned. Okay. Yeah. So now we're okay. Now I'm on the same page. All right. So how does the scene go down? Well, they walk in, 
and you know they they sort of pan over to her watching TV, and you see Cena with Punk on his shoulders. Punk elbows Cena in the head. You hear Cole's commentary, and then Cena sort of drops him on his back, and that's the extent of the wrestling. All right. And, and what what happens around it? What happens in the sequence? Um, she's really rude to her mom, who is elderly and disabled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guy with the beard laughs because she's hot. <laughs> and they get their um, they get whatever information they need, and they move on. Ah. What do you think? Do you, do you tap to it or not? Um, it it is almost so meaningless that <laughs> I'd be like, you got to move on me right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, um, uh, I'm gonna tap to this to, to this uh, scene where somebody watches wrestling. All right, very good. I got a double dose of of Pauly Shore since we mentioned him. Uh, one is Biodome. There's a uh, there's a great scene in the movie Biodome. Now, for those who haven't seen Biodome, this was a total commercial flop. I mean, it made like $4 million or something. Uh, but it was a comedy with Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. Yes, who, Stephen. who when asked about this movie uh, and why he did it, he just said favors. Favor. I wonder who he, was, who he owed a favor to. <laughs> who knows? I uh, so this is I like this movie. I think this movie is very funny. Um, they play these characters that I think with this type of movie you either get on board or you don't. And there's a lot of people I know that won't. You know, they they see a movie where you have these implausibly stupid characters. You have characters in this film that are and they can never be. It's kind of like Dumb and Dumber or any you know of those other comedies where you have characters that are so stupid they're so foolish that you can't believe that they could dress themselves uh or do anything else yet they have to do things throughout the film that put them in a that that they wouldn't be able to do if they were as dumb as other scenes. So it's inconsistent. They'll be incredibly stupid for the sake of this punchline, that punchline, and that punchline, but then they have to be actual human being characters for this scene, that scene, and the other scene. Yeah. And this film is certainly one of those. These are the two dumbest guys I think I've ever seen on screen. Uh, and they just, I mean, they clown around. They chew each other's toenails. Like there's, you know, like, because, you know, it's hard to chew your own toenails. So I guess you would you would get your friend to do that. Uh, and they, they stop at the Biodome, which is, um, it was a play on this thing that actually happened a lot then. I don't think it's happening anymore. But remember, they had like, I think one of them was called Earth 2, and they had like these domes that would, you know, pop up in the desert somewhere, and this family would go into them to live in this dome. Do you remember this phenomena? Yeah, and they would grow vegetables or whatever. Yeah, but they would usually lock themselves in for a year for some scientific reason. Uh, The other uh, media uh, connection I can think of to it is the movie um, uh, or the TV show Cheers. There's a whole thing where Lilith leaves Frasier and goes into a bubble of some kind. You know, this this like uh, uh, bubble in the desert somewhere and, you know, gets married to this scientist and she's going to live in this bubble and he can't talk to her for a year. I remember so, that. Yes. So this is what the biodome is. So they they get to the biodome and they're like, oh, I I need to 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 take a leak or drain the lizard or whatever the dumbest way you could say that is, and so 
they they see the biodome and they think it's a mall. They're like, oh, we'll go inside that mall, and you know, they 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 need we need toiletries. And he's like, there's got to be a toilet tree around here somewhere. Oh, <laughs> it's just that kind of a movie. Anyway, there is a scene in the film where the uh, one of the characters, his ne'er do well stepfather, is is in the sequence, and he goes up to him and he's like, you got a job? Cause he's saying that the stepfather says that he has a job now. And he says, how did you get the job? And he says, effing president Clinton, because at the time president Clinton had some kind of jobs initiative that was in the news. Uh, the joke doesn't really make sense anymore, but Paulie Shore then goes, you had sex with president Clinton, which, you know, that's the rim shot and you go out. But, in the background during this scene, you can hear Tony Schiavone comment, commentating what I think is an episode of Thunder. It's very hard to to make out because it's totally in the background. But you hear Tony's voice pop up every now and then. And you just you'll hear like not even enough to 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 understand entire words, but you can tell it's Tony Schiavone and you can tell he's commentating a wrestling match. Uh, it's total background. You don't get to see it. So I will tap out to the biodome scene. Moving to the next scene with Pauly Shore is the movie Encino Man. Craig, have you seen Encino Man? I saw Encino Man in the theaters, and I've probably watched it on video a handful of times, but it's probably been about 15 years. This is uh, probably Pauly Shore's uh, most successful film. And if not, it's, it's one of it's, it probably is most famous. The other one is probably son-in-law, uh, that's, uh, was very popular, but, uh, and Sino man is him and Brendan Fraser, who then became a huge star, you know, uh, just, you know, came out of this film. It was, and also, uh, what Sean, yeah, Rudy, Ast- Sean yeah. Astin, is that yeah, his name? Yeah. Rudy. Isn't he also a hobbit? Yeah. He's a hobbit and he was a goonie. And he was Rudy, but was Rudy, Rudy is what he's always going to be. Rudy! <laughs> Not Rudy. Not that Rudy. <laughs> the cause, Rudy. Um, so, yeah, no, he was not Rudy on I the apologize Cosby for show. that terrible Bill Cosby impersonation. Well, no, let me just uh, total another ridiculous, unrelated tangent. But I there the funniest comedy routine... I think I ever heard Bill Cosby do, and I haven't been able to track it down. I think it was live at Lake Tahoe, but I haven't been able to find uh, a ver. I haven't been able to find the version I heard as a kid, and I heard it on an audio cassette. And he's telling a story about how uh, you shouldn't say, you shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain. And his reason is because God might be so busy working on cures for diseases and worried about, you know, other issues, you know, malnutrition and things like that. And so God's there very busy and somebody stubs their toe and is like, God damn it. And God's like, what? And then he's like, oh, they don't need me. So he says, so you shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain because God's busy. So he's like, I got an idea for you. I got a friend named Rudy. And he says, Rudy is a total shiftless layabout. He doesn't do anything. Rudy sits around all the time. He says, so if if you're if you're at a casino, right, and you're about to roll the dice and you go, oh God, I want this to be good. God's too busy, but he's Rudy's not doing anything. So if you're <laughs> like, oh Rudy, come on, give me seven, Rudy will be like, yeah, let him have it. <laughs> And so then he starts getting into, oh, he hit my Rudy damn car. And 
this is all a million times funnier because it's Bill Cosby. And I and it also may be funnier in my head just because I heard it as a kid and I thought it was just so funny. You know, and I remember listening to it over and over. But uh, Cosby must love the name Rudy is there is a Rudy in Fat Albert, isn't there? Uh, You know what? I think you're right. I think there is. So, I mean, I think the cause just, you know, I think he may have had a Rudy friend <laughs> growing up or a brother or something named Rudy, maybe a sister. And he just, you know, I wonder if it's like he's like, I need Theo in this and I need Rudy. So he's like, I got I got a son named Theo, a son named Rudy. And then they're like, ah, oh, we test marketed, you know, or we cast this little girl who's really good. He's like, well, then the girl's Rudy. That's how we're playing this. <laughs> yeah, Rudy I'm, on the Rudy. on on Fat Albert, he was the like the real tall and thin one who wore like the that oh wore like, the cap that wore the cap and he always yeah. seemed to be on the outs with the gang if i remember yeah. correctly that yeah, was he would always be he well he's like there's a there's an episode where they where he starts smoking and they're like hey that's not very good no but you better stop smoking but he was like the most normal of all of them, which is probably why he was he's the one who didn't have a serious weird speech impediment and he's the only one that kind of looked normal, too. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. Fat Albert was, you know, I, by the way, and I've talked about this uh, with a lot of people. I don't know if they I mean, I know they rebooted that as a movie. I don't know how you can get away with Fat Albert anymore. I don't think you can. Yeah. He, he's got to be like, you know, they got to make like a, a thin version. <laughs> and then they just call it Fat P-H-A-T, Albert. Now, they could do that. They, You know what? I'm surprised they didn't do that the last time. <laughs> they get like, you know, uh, Chris Brown as yeah. Fat Albert. He's Fat Albert. But he's, he's thin. No, but, you know, like they, they, they got uh, uh, Keenan or Kel. They yeah. got Keenan. The one that's on SNL, yeah. Yes, they got they got Keenan to play him, and he was, uh, he was much thinner than the cartoon, the cartoon of Fat Albert. Oh, he he had to be half a ton. Yeah. In fact, Albert should have had trouble moving around. He did. He just had the big, deep voice. Well, anyway, um, how did we get to – oh, Rudy. Rudy, I'm sorry. I apologize for all of that. So anyway, um, Rudy is is the other guy. So it's Pauly Shore and Rudy and uh, and Brendan Fraser. Now, Brendan Fraser is – now, this – also a stupid storyline, but this film is closer to reality than Biodome. Nonetheless, this is a film about a bunch of stoners who find a caveman buried in their backyard. Yes. In a block of ice in California. <laughs> How do they explain that? I can't even remember. Is I don't it? remember, but like they, they're like digging to get a pool and they dig down deep enough that it's Cold? So there was some kind of pocket or something probably that yeah. had been preserved. Block of ice. They bring it inside <laughs> and they defrost Encino Man, which is uh, Brendan Fraser. So in this movie, you see a uh, a jobber match with Dino Bravo facing some jobber, and Dino's <laughs> got him in an airplane spin. This is shown on screen for just a couple seconds. Dino's got the guy in an airplane spin, and basically they're using television to teach the caveman about how to live, how to be a human being uh, in the year 1991 or whatever that was. So 
he's got he's got him in the airplane spin, and so uh, he does uh, he does the airplane spin to the guys, you know, like spins them around, you know, uh, Brendan Fraser does. So so that's the wrestling scene. Now it's very quick, but it's part of this sequence, you know, where they teach him how to brush his teeth and everything else, and so. I'm going to say I don't tap out to the sequence because as short as it is, it makes sense. They needed, they needed to show him fighting. They could have showed him uh, karate, you know, yeah. but they, they showed him wrestling. And so I don't tap out. I think it's a good scene. So I'm down with the scene in Encino, man. Excellent. What do you got for me, Craig? Um, Creep Show. Oh. The horror anthology from uh, George Romero and Stephen King. There's actually a segment in that movie that stars Stephen King, where he he discovers a um, a fallen asteroid or now, meteor. Let and, me ask you a question: yes. Have we watched this film together? You know what? I think we might have watched. It. Is is there a sequence? Because it's a, it's an anthology with multiple stories. Is there a sequence with a with with like a, a lake with like Crispin Glover? No, that is part. That is part two. Okay. Um, not Crispin Glover, but part one has Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. Oh, and he buries. Yeah, Ted somebody. Danson comes back as a zombie at the end. We saw this. We saw this at that film festival. Yes, Philadelphia twenty-four hour horathon. Yeah. So we saw this uh, and on film. Yeah. So yes. So I did see this. I cannot remember the wrestling scene. So walk me through the sequence, and I'll see if it if it uh, jogs my memory. Yeah. So you've got this the sequence with it's the Stephen King section of the movie. Stephen and he's King, like a hillbilly. He's a hillbilly. He's wearing overalls the whole nine. It's, it's very, uh, you know, I guess he's, you know, a, a very stereotypical. Yeah. This uh, is not, uh, this is again, not the Olivier performance that one would expect from one Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're about, um, 26 minutes and 30 seconds into the movie when you actually see the wrestling. But is what this, happens is, uh, yes. Is this the first sequence in the film? No, it is the it is the second full sequence after the prologue. Okay. Um so in in the first sequence you get to see Ed Harris dancing Dance. very very weird. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah Creep Show is an awesome movie. It's uh it's definitely worth watching. Um I prefer Creep Show 2, but there is so much good stuff in Creep Show 1. So Stephen King is sitting at home enjoying his night when he hears a commotion outside and it turns out he finds a, a fallen meteor and he touches it and instantly uh, realizes it was a bad idea. He goes in the house or he might not instantly realize it's a bad idea, but uh, he goes in the house and he is watching wrestling and there is a fight between Bob Backlund and one of the Samoans, uh, Sika. Ah. And they actually say the Vince McMahon's calling the match, and he says, "You know, Bob Backlund and Sika here in MSG." Wow! And then um, that's the extent of the wrestling in the scene. But you do see, you know, Backlund sort of flip Sika into the ropes. You know, they do a move set, and uh, and you what, get to hear and you get to hear Vince, which is awesome. Yeah. What era was this? Um, what uh, year? What approximately? It had to be early to mid '80s. Right. Creep so this Show is... came out in '82. Okay, so this is yeah, so this is pre, you know, uh, this this footage uh, would have been contemporary at the time. So we're talking, you know, this is not this isn't them digging up an old match and putting it in, you know, a film from the '90s or whatever. Um, so that's interesting. So yeah, so this is pre rock and wrestling connection. This is when wrestling was not hip and cool, <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. So live from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. 
And that was probably your main event for the championship, by the oh, way. Oh, probably, yeah. Bob Backlund. Let's talk about Bob Backlund uh, uh, for a brief moment. Uh, I I really like uh, Bob Backlund matches. I enjoy going back and watching them. He was a collegiate champion, and he was notorious for not having any personality. And the weird thing is, now he is nothing but personality. Yeah. It's a strange personality, but it's there. It is very weird. And I got to say, we used to go to wrestling events in the 90s. And how many wrestling events did we go to that Bob Backlund just showed up sure. at? <laughs> he still does this. Yeah, he, he won't be in the ring or, or even part of the production. He'll just be on the concourse. He'll set up a table and he'll start signing autographs. <laughs> yeah, and they, they let him. And he'll also do it outside of events, too. But even when he was at WrestleMania um, to uh, for his Hall of Fame induction, there were photos and reports that he set up a little table in the parking lot, you know, outside the arena. And people came up and for five bucks, ten bucks, you know, a pop, they'd get a photo with him or get a signed picture. And, you know, he's selling T-shirts and whatever. I mean, he just, you know, does it out of his trunk. And from what I understand, if you run into Bob Backlund anywhere, he will have one for you that you can buy. That is great. Um, yeah, interesting guy and, and a very interesting era of wrestling, you know, a, 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 a professional wrestling champion who was, you know, a quiet, you know, you know, intense guy, you know, it's just, it looked like howdy doody. Yes. <laughs> he now, has one of the longer title reigns too. Oh my God, he's got the second longest behind Bruno's, and it's one of those ones that you that no matter like as long as as CM Punk had that title, he he wasn't even close. I mean, those yeah, guys he, he just beat had him those by titles. five times that amount. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so uh, it is it is also interesting that Sika was in this. Sika has uh, has a very famous son. Sika was a famous wrestler, uh, and his one son Joe is a very famous professional wrestler who wrestles under the name Roman Reigns. Yes. So his son is you know is poised for even more greatness than an MSG match against Bob Backlund. His other son was also a professional wrestler. Uh, he was uh, Rosie. Uh, you know, uh, one half of the, uh, um, what was that, uh, the Samoan Gangsta Party? Three count, was it? Yeah, well, they were they were Samoan Gangsta Party in uh, ECW, and then they came to, to WWE, and they were uh, three-minute warning. Three-minute warning, and they were doing that terrible Eric Bischoff gimmick. That's right. He was also a superhero in training at one point. Yeah, with the Hurricane and Molly. And if you if you think about the abbreviation, that was the gag. Yes, indeed. Um, but so he was a uh, professional wrestler. Uh, probably still is. I haven't uh, haven't seen him do anything lately. But so uh, and then Sika, you know, somewhat of a decorated, you know, uh, professional wrestler. Uh, you know, certainly from one of the most famous wrestling families of them all, uh, and just a, a, an interesting guy. Craig, do you have another one? Um, I. Let me see. Let me think. Because I got, I got one more. If you're, if you're tapped out, I got one more. I want to share. I actually do have one. All right, uh, hit me. It is the Warren Beatty movie or Beatty movie. This is the one I have. Bullworth. Yes. Okay, which we saw in the theater together, which is probably why we both thought of it. I have heard so many people over the years say that. Oh, this is just such a great film. Mm -hmm. Oh, that Bullworth. It's ahead of its time. 
I haven't gone back and revisited this film. Have you? No, but the one thing I remember, I remember leaving that movie and being like, I didn't really like the movie as much as the message of the movie. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Yeah. This is a movie where <laughs> Warren Beatty, Warren Beatty, old Warren Beatty, is running for Senate or something. Yeah. And he decides to rap. <laughs> And date Halle Berry. <laughs> I just can't get past that, Craig. Yeah. There's, they, I mean, they could be like, and all the portions of the proceeds to this movie go towards saving babies from from starving to death in in Africa. And I'd be like, I just still can't recommend that people go see this movie. <laughs> Tell me what you remember about this movie. Um, I remember him just giving a big speech at the end, you know, that was sort of like, uh, it was the big shoot. He was like doing a shoot. So what's the, what's the message? What do you remember, uh, that the message was? I, I just remember it was like interracial dating and that white people should rap more. Yeah. He was basically saying that we should basically, uh, procreate to the point where there are no more races. So we should have no choice but to procreate with people like you should, you should exclude your own race when, when procreating. Yes. That's, that was the message. I believe so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or at least that's my takeaway. However, many years later, that's, that's what I remember. Him. Just, I don't know. I mean, I think, well, I think his point was we should get to the if point we, where if we had no races. Yeah, sure. It, it so, wouldn't but, matter. But, but you know what? We'd have other reasons to argue with each other. Sure. I just I think that like racism, I think, is just a way for evil people to be evil. I think that if there if everyone was the same race and I think that they've done like short stories and, and movies and stuff, I think that have covered this concept. But if everybody was the same race, then it'd be like, oh, well, those guys have red hair. You know, and everybody have had the same kind of hair. That guy has a bigger nose. Yeah. You know, I think they'd find a way. We I and I bet that they've done studies that if they, you know, if they put animals together, that animals will find a way to discriminate against each other. I just think there's some kind of uh, nature to that. Um, so I, I don't think it would work. Um, but I will tell you that if the way to end racism was Warren Beatty in a hoodie with a backwards hat and a flavor flave clock. I still think racism is possibly more important than the world warming up to Warren Beatty in a backwards ball cap, Craig. <laughs> oh my God. That's all I remember. I just remember him like he started rapping and I just remember being like, looking around the theater and be like, is everybody else in the same theater as me? Did I eat some really bad chicken and just lose? Did I die? Yeah. Am I in the matrix? <laughs> what happened here? You know, am I hallucinating? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's the kind of thing where once he starts rapping, he could start flying and it wouldn't be any more unusual. It just starts flying around in the movie. <laughs> Was Halle Berry his girlfriend that you remember? Um, now that you, sure now that I'm you say it, it, I think so. Yeah. I mean, she seems like the, a the actress at the time that would have been the person they call for that role. 
so crazy. So uh, do you remember the wrestling scene in this? I have this written down. I haven't gone back to see it. But as soon as I saw Bullworth, I was like, oh, we got to talk about Bullworth. Yeah, I think it's a scene where he's sitting down and he's flipping. He's like channel surfing. And okay, he passes so, a, 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 you know, he, he passes wrestling and Steamboat and Flair are having a match. I see. Now, that is a good match. I, I can tell you, not having seen every match that they've wrestled, because I'm sure they wrestled in every arena across the country, I can tell you they were all gems. Oh, all five stars. Uh, let's uh, uh, let's talk about Bullworth here a little bit because I have the Wikipedia page. First of all, possibly the ugliest poster I've ever seen for a mainstream film. Oh, is that like um, is it's, there like a hand coming out of a hat or something? It's it's almost that. It's it's Warren Beatty's head, but then Warren Beatty is climbing out of his own mouth. It's oh, a in the rap here. Yes, so okay. it's rapper. Warren Beatty coming out of regular Warren Beatty's mouth. Halle Berry is the female lead. Uh, and here is what Wikipedia says. Bullworth is a 1998 American comedy drama film co-written, co-produced, and directed by Warren Beatty. It stars Harry, Halle Berry, Oliver Platt, Don Cheadle, Paul Sorvino, Jack Warden, and Isaiah Washington. The film follows the title character, California Senator J. Billington Bullworth, as he runs for re-election while trying to avoid a hired assassin. Nowhere there does it say he starts rapping. <laughs> Let's see here. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead in the actual rundown. It says, turning up in California for his campaign, extremely drunk, Bullworth began speaking his mind freely at public events and in the presence of C-SPAN film crew following his campaign. After ending up in a nightclub and smoking marijuana, he even starts rapping in public. His frank, potentially offensive remarks make him an instant media darling and re-energize his campaign. Once again, Warren Beatty raps in this movie. <laughs> very strange. Very strange. Well, these are all very interesting. Uh, I think it's cool that, you know, like these are these are movies that are using wrestling footage. They're not they didn't go shoot wrestling footage. There's uh, a lot of films that have brief cameos where they go to a wrestling match. There's uh, the movie Head of State with, with Chris Rock. And in that film, which is also a political film, he goes to uh, make a public appearance at TNA and he gets uh, gets in a fight with uh, Jeff Jarrett, I think. Yeah, does and he take a guitar shot? I think he does. I know there's like a, a big amount of, you know, uh, uh, beat down on him. But here's the thing about that is he then wins the presidency, which I don't buy because TNA is not going to get you one vote. You know, I mean, there's just there's not enough people watching. You might actually lose votes. I think you would. I was going to vote for that guy, but he watches TNA. Yeah, what's what's going on with that? I saw him and Magnus in the ring. It's crazy. So um, so those are a bunch. There are a bunch more of these. And and often I find more, and I have no definitive list on this. This is uh, one that you know I think from time to time we will put in a movie and we'll be like, ooh, there's a little wrestling scene. So those, these are fun. And uh, I always enjoy talking about wrestling movies, but this I think is an exceptionally uh, bizarre type of wrestling movie to talk about. Yeah. And, and it kind of challenges the listeners to stay on their toes and keep an eye out for those wrestling. That's appearances. Right. If you find you any... never know where you're going to see wrestling. Exactly. Let us know. Email us over at uh, camelclutchcinema@gmail.com. 
That's the email address. We don't get it. We don't get a lot of emails. We need some more. Send us some emails. Uh, well, thank you for joining me, Craig. Oh, thank you, guy. This was fun as always, and uh, hopefully, this was the first and last time I do a Bill Cosby impersonation. <laughs> And thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you next time here on Camel Clutch Cinema. As I walk through the aisle with videos on the shelf, I see the miss on the box and realize there's nothing else. Now, I've been watching wrestling for so long that every sense of good taste that I have is gone. But I never tapped two movies that didn't deserve it. A movie with CM Punk, you know, that's unheard of. I like to watch how they talking and how they're acting. So during the movie, you better not talk. I hate to critique, but I gotta, though. The acting in this movie is really horrible. I'm the kind of G who watches wrestling on the TV, eating popcorn all night with the glow of the screen light. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We keep spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Look at the scene in question that I am watching. They just took John Cena's wife. Now he's off to the streets. Now he's riding on top of a trolley. Fighting bad guys in the chopper and of course winning. Now he's in a swimming pool and makes out with his wife. Got the remote in my hand and now I'm sleepy eyed. I'm a tapped out gangster TV set banger. And my homie sits down so don't arouse my anger. Fool the podcast just another Friday away. Will I tap to this movie? What will I say? The Marine 3, will they ever make a Marine 4? Wait, things are going, I don't know. Double, double E is so blind to see that with these movies, they make no money. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Keep spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Wrestlers in the movies, guy and Craig podcasting, movies with some wrestling. Will they be left tapping? Movies keep on showing, but half of them ain't looking. What's going on in the kitchen? If you smell what I'm cooking, they say I gotta watch, but no one here entertains me. Is that who I think? It's Tiny Lister. I guess it's not. I guess they won't. I guess they front. That's why I know this movie's out of luck, fool. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We keep spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Double, double E is so blind to see that with these movies they make no money. Double, double E is so blind to see that with these movies they make no money.